From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. We'll touch on several big stories in North Texas this week and examine where all of them cross over into politics. Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers will be joined by Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson just days after the unexpected resignation of the Dallas Police Chief. Then NBC5 Sports Director Newey Scruggs visits to talk about the national anthem and the start of the NFL season. And finally, in an interview you can hear only on the podcast, Richardson ISD Superintendent Jeannie Stone discusses how the district is handling bringing students back on campus during the coronavirus pandemic. In a surprising move, Dallas Police Chief Renee Hall submitted her resignation letter on Tuesday. Initially, the letter said she would resign effective November 10th, but later that day, City Manager T.C. Brodnack said Hall had agreed to stay on through the end of the year. Hall's three-year tenure has had its challenges, including the deadly shooting of Botham Jean and a homicide rate that surged in the summer of 2019. More recently, the department was criticized for its handling of protests over social injustice after the death of George Floyd. Hall is the first woman to lead the Dallas Police Department, something Mayor Eric Johnson said was not lost on him in a statement he issued on Tuesday. Here's the mayor with Julian Gromer. Thanks so much for being here, Mayor. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Let's first start with your reaction to Chief Hall resigning. What do you think is important for the next chief? Well, I think it's important that we find a chief who shares our city's commitment to community policing. That's a big deal here. We want a chief who believes it's important for our officers to have a real relationship with our communities that they're working in. And we want to make sure that we have a chief that's got the experience dealing with violent crime and reducing violent crime. That's particularly important to me as uh, since I've taken office, I've been pushing really hard for more concrete plans around how we intend to reverse violent crimes uptick in this city. I understand that nationally violent crime is rising, but we were rising last year before this trend sort of set in. And I'm not really interested in what's going on you know, around the country so much as I'm interested in what's happening in Dallas, Texas. And I want to make sure Dallas is the safest big city in the United States. So I want a chief that shares that commitment and that will work with me and will work with the council and, and will help us get there. Mayor, you had the benefit of observing Chief Hall before you were mayor and then, of course, working with her and observing her while you were mayor. What do you think went wrong during her time? Well, well, you know, again, it's a personnel matter. Even still, she's going to be our chief through the end of the year. And as you know, in the city of Dallas, <clears throat> the police chief reports directly to the city manager and does not report directly to me or uh, to the city council directly. And so, you know, I, I think it, what I can say is this, is that I have you know, struggled since I've been mayor to get my arms around exactly what our plan was to deal with the violent crime in the city. And I think at some point, um, once we had some protests, the first few days of which I think uh, it's pretty clear at this point, there was very little police response to some of the violence and the looting that happened in the first few days. And then we had an incident on the Margaret Hunt Hill Bridge where um, the response was problematic and where the answers to the questions about what happened that night were not satisfactory to a lot of the members of, of the city council. So. I'd say, you know, it was a combination of those events that sort of put a, a, some things into motion that resulted in what we have this week, which is her resignation. But my big concern is the violent crime, and, and we really do need to get that moving in the, in the right direction. Let's turn now to city council. The council voted last week to cut $7 million from police overtime. You opposed that. You wanted salaries cut elsewhere. Talk a little bit about that. 
Well, my point is, is this. Again, the city of Dallas is facing a very serious uptick in violent crime. And it's not just a few days or weeks or months in the making. We're talking about a couple of years now of steadily increasing aggravated assaults, steadily increasing homicides, and steadily increasing domestic violence. And so I don't believe, and neither do the people of Dallas, the actual residents of the city believe that now is the right time to be defunding the police or cutting funding to the police to send a message or anything like that. We need to prioritize people's safety right now. And the city manager and the police chief asked for an overtime budget of a certain size. The city council's come in and recommended cutting that budget by 25%. And I'm opposed to that because I do believe that there are ways to generate revenue to do some things that we all agree on the city council are important to do that don't involve cutting the public safety budget at a time like this, i.e., we could cut the highest city hall civilian employee salaries, which are some pretty high salaries. We have an employee at the city of Dallas who makes more than the president of the United States of America and several who make more than their counterparts at the state of Texas who are doing those same types of jobs, but for 30 million people, not 1.4 million people. So I just thought that there was more room to tighten our belts around city hall and that that would send a good signal to the rest of the world that we are willing to share in the pain, but the council disagreed. Mayor, a couple of the council members have talked about at this moment there should be a reimagining of the police department and public safety in Dallas, especially given the calls for, for social justice. Do you agree with that? What does reimagining the police department mean to you? And again, the funding the police, do you agree with that? Is that something that you're interested in doing? I think we need to have a very serious conversation about these topics, and I'll say this. You know, when I first heard the, the phrase to fund the police several months ago, I very genuinely and earnestly asked the question, what does that mean? And I was actually met with some ridicule and met with some derision and accused of not pretending not to know. So when I suggested in response to, you know, that, well, does it mean zeroing out the police department budget? I was told, of course not. Absolutely not. It doesn't mean zeroing out. And then in the city of Austin, they cut their police budget by 35 percent. But the mayor of Austin says that's not defunding either. The city council of Dallas is now proposing to cut the overtime budget by 25%. And now the city council members are saying that's not defunding either. The, one of the local leaders of the defund the police movement sent out a you know, message immediately after the, the straw vote on that saying, thank you, Dallas city council, for defunding the police. So, you know, it, there, people are all over the place on what it means. But I will tell you this, what I don't think is okay. I don't think it's okay to cut money from the police department budget just for the sake of saying you did it. And I don't think it's okay to cut money from the police department budget when your city's in the middle of a violent crime uptick and the residents are begging for help, for more resources to help deal with violent crime. And so that's why I opposed it. And I think that, you know, yes, reimagining something we should do, we're doing that in a lot of ways in this budget that don't involve the $7 million cuts that I'm opposed to increasing in funding for right care, which is a program to send mental health professionals instead of armed police officers to deal with mental health calls is a great idea. And some of my ideas from my task force um, to deal with violence in our communities um, that are in the budget are also great ideas, but cutting $7 million for the sake of cutting $7 million, not a good idea. Before we let you go, we do want to talk to you a little bit about COVID-19. Those numbers do appear to be going down in the city of Dallas, but do you think we're anywhere close to out of the woods yet? I would never say we are out of the woods on COVID-19 until we have a vaccine in hand, and not only in hand, 
in the people's hands who are going to be the most vulnerable, people who are, are you know, have trouble accessing health care and who are on our front lines, our first responders and the folks who work in our retail establishments. So, no, we are nowhere near being out of the woods, and we cannot allow ourselves to be lulled into being complacent about this. We need to continue to do all the things we've been doing in terms of social distancing and wearing masks, and we need to continue to be te get tested and avoid contact with others if we're symptomatic. But, you know, flu season is coming up, and the convergence of flu season with coronavirus is something we have never seen before, and we need to be prepared for that. So I would encourage everyone in Dallas to stay vigilant and continue to keep safe. Um, we're not out of the woods, Julie. Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you guys. COVID-19 cases in Dallas County have been falling over the last couple weeks and health officials are hoping they don't see another spike in cases following Labor Day weekend. And to put a bow on the search real quick for the new Dallas police chief, head over to our website and check out Ken Kaltoff's story from last week. The headline is Insiders Debate Whether New Dallas Police Chief Should Come From the Inside or Out. While it seems like just about every other sport is being played at odd times on the calendar, football is back right on time. The Dallas Cowboys opened their season on NBC's Sunday Night Football in Los Angeles against the Rams, and all eyes will be on the field during the national anthem. Defensive linemen Tyrone Crawford and Don Terry Poe have hinted that some sort of demonstration is possible Sunday night. Back to Julian Gromer with NBC5 Sports Director Nui Scruggs. We've never had you on the show before, so we're really excited. I am honored to be on this show with you two. Uh, that's definitely an oversight on our part, Julie. Total oversight, especially <laughs> since Nui is one of our favorite people on the All planet. Right. All right, Nui, let's think about tonight a little bit. Do you think the Cowboys will kneel? They'll protest you some form of protest this evening. Great question, Julie. I don't know. Here's what I would like to see. What happens at the early games that we see on Sunday because the Cowboys are the late game on Sunday Night Football. So they're the last one. So let's see, really, how does it unfold here? What happens in those early games? We already saw what happened Thursday night when the Houston Texans decided that they were going to stay in the locker room. And then we saw the Kansas City Chiefs on the field. All but one player stood for the National Anthem. And the Miami Dolphins put out a video late Thursday night saying, look, we're not going to participate in anything at all. So for me, what happens with the Cowboys, I think, will be dictated by what other teams do on Sunday night. Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys running back, did say that he expected some players to kneel. Don Terry Poe, a member of the Cowboys in his first year, already said uh, during the summer that he planned to take a knee during the national anthem. Nui, what do you think about Jerry Jones's opinion these days on kneeling during the national anthem? And how has he evolved, do you think, on the issue? Jerry hasn't evolved at all. Jerry still says, you know how I feel about this. I mean, Jerry said this and several times on his uh, radio show on 105.3 The Fan. Jerry Jones believes that everyone should stand uh, for the national anthem with their hand on their heart. Jerry's still talking about the anthem, and that, was, that is what frustrates a whole lot of players. That they're saying it's not about the anthem, Jerry. So Jerry still believes that, hey, look, I, I don't want anyone to do anything. In the video you're showing right there, that's what they did when they took a knee before the national anthem in Arizona. Jerry is hopeful that that will happen again, but I don't see it going down that way. I do believe when the national anthem is played that we will see one Cowboy, Don Terry Poe, if not others, most likely take some type of demonstration or the Cowboys may elect to stay in the locker room. So they have been very 
there's been a lot of different opinions coming out of the locker room about what they will do. But Dak Prescott, the quarterback, did say they will support individuals in whatever manner they choose to do it. So, Nui, what happens after that then but between the players and Jerry? Will he just back off from the issue, or, or is, will this become a problem? Great question, Gromer. We don't know. Until this happens, we don't know. We can kind of speculate. Jerry he spoke so much about trying to show grace, and Jerry's afraid of sponsors. That's what he also basically told 105.3 The Fan this week on Tuesday, that he is worried about sensitivities. He kept saying sensitivities over and over again, which means my customers. I am worried about my season ticket holders. I'm worried about the people who, who come to my games. And basically what Jerry's telling you, I'm afraid that you guys are going to scare my white customers. That is what he's saying. Let's just get right to it. And until it happens, we don't know exactly what will happen afterwards. What, I don't think there's going to be any fallout. Look at the NBA. All right, they put Black Lives Matter on the court. They had teams taking a knee. The Dallas Mavericks all took a knee. And guess what? Throughout the playoffs, we saw all kind of fans still wanting to see exactly what the Mavericks were going to do on the court. Newey, this they is were tuning in. Newey, this has really become an issue discussed in politics all the way around. President Donald Trump has talked about this, as have many other candidates. If you remember in 2018 Senate race between Senator Cruz and former El Paso Representative Beto O'Rourke, it was an issue. How do you see it playing out in this political cycle? Well, Donald Trump has told Jerry, because they're friends. He told Jerry before. It's on the record. He says, hey, Jerry, I, I know this is an issue that I can use. But people in the NFL, the owners and the players, they're not scared of a tweet anymore. Uh, a lot has happened in two years. A lot has happened. Uh, I remember uh, my good friend Jock Taylor once told me sports is fluid. So what was the sentiment two to three years ago is not that now. And a poll came out in the, in the Washington Post and it said a majority of Americans agree with the players using their platform and talking about uh, social justice issues and talking about uh, brutality with the police departments across America that they're seeing. And so much of that, Julie, is the point for the players. Is they're saying, look, the policing that's going on here has been very unfair for blacks and they would like it to stop and like people to address it more and more. And you saw Dak Prescott give a million dollars to a police department for training because he feels it's an issue as well. You know, Nui, before we, we, we get to a Kobe question, quickly, as quickly as you can, Dak Prescott and his frank discussion about mental health and his struggles during the pandemic uh, with depression. What do you think about that? Dak lost his mother to cancer in college. He just lost his brother to suicide in April, and he was dealing with COVID. A lot of people struggled with COVID. And also, remember, he had the contract situation going on. So you turn on the TV where there's no sports, and everybody was running this man's name in the dirt about whether or not he was worth the money. He was going through some issues. And the fact that he was bold enough and brave enough to come out and say, I had an issue, I needed some help. I talked to someone, and he's gotten a lot of support. The Cowboys are a tough and close-knit locker room, and Dak Prescott has a lot of respect. And, and I believe across DFW, you've seen people wrap their arms around Dak Prescott is, and when he said he needed and he sought help, and people admire and respect that. New, before we let you go, do you think the NFL will get through this season uninterrupted during this pandemic? I mean, if you had your crystal ball, what would be your guess? Probably not. Probably not. We've, we've heard Dr. Fauci talk about, hey, you have to get ready for, for what's going to happen here in the fall and winter. So we don't know what's, what's going to happen with, with COVID. But I do believe that the NFL will follow the NBA and the NHL and stretch their seasons out if they have to, if it is interrupted. So I do believe that the NFL will conclude their season. Not sure if it ends in, in, in February, in the, in the first week of February, but I do believe they're going to play it out into 2021 and crown a Super Bowl champion. Nui, I have to put you on the, uh, on the spot here. 
you are okay. your fantasy football league champion, right? You are the champ. He beat but, me in the but, playoffs last year. Exactly. Knocked me out. But Julie Fine had the first pick in this year's draft. She's coming for you, Newly. What is going to happen? <laughs> well, Gromer, sitting right behind me is the fantasy football trophy. Oh, I so see. I'm, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> um, just to, you know, let your um, defending champion. We've changed our name from the New Dogs to defending champion. Defending champion will be happy to cede a championship this year to Julie Fine. I, I would be more than happy to pass her this trophy so she can have her name engraved on it as I have two different times, Gromer. Two different times. Do you believe him, Julie? I, I believe him, but I have I to know. say that Nui has been nothing but a help to me during fantasy because, you know, we were virtual this year in the draft, and I was texting him. I was like, am I doing okay? Yeah. Am I doing okay? Julie, he was she my has a very good team as well. <laughs> well, Gromer, you, have a very, you had a very good draft as well. I love the strategies that you both had, so – uh, but you got to keep up. All, you know, that's the thing about fantasy football. You got to keep up. There's no days off, as Bill Belichick said. Got to keep up with it all year long. And as he says, do your job. Newey Scruggs, NBC5 Sports Come Director. Back, Come back, and thanks so much for being with us. Jules Gromer, appreciate you. And remember, if you're listening to this on Sunday, the Cowboys kick off their season on NBC5 at 7 o'clock. If it's after Sunday, you can still catch Newey every week after Sunday night football on NBC5's Big Game Sunday. As schools across the country take different approaches to the start of the school year, a North Texas district is trying a staggered approach. Richardson ISD brought elementary school students back last week. We'll have middle school students on campus this week, followed by the high schools next. Parents of students at all schools have the option to select virtual or in-person learning to begin the year. Here's the superintendent of Richardson ISD, Jeannie Stone, with Julian Gromer. Dr. Stone, Richardson ISD Superintendent, thank you so much for being with us for our podcast. Thank you. Hello to everyone. Hi, Julie. Let's start with this. I mean, you started school this week. The kids are back in person. How's it going so far? You know, it's going so well. Um, I think we were, the, the, the lead up to it was a little stressful with tons and tons of anticipation. It felt like something that we were gearing up for since really March and all through the summer. But whenever the time came and we brought back our face-to-face -face learners, it was a huge relief because everything went seamlessly and so calm. I think everyone was just so glad to get to be back together. So it really has gone so well our first week back. So talk about, I mean, COVID-19 is the concern, right? What's the right. situation? You have positive cases. What are you doing about that? How are you protecting not only the children, but yourself, the teachers, everybody? So the only way that we can really bring back students face-to-face -face is if we are doing absolutely everything possible to mitigate the risk. And so we have been, that's really been what we've been preparing for for months. And so, you know, everything from, we have a universal mask requirement, and that's for all students. We have uh, every student is issued our petition that they are issued every morning and they uh, carry it around with them. That keeps them, you know, uh, from the, they're petitioned off, which, you know, is not a normal classroom environment. What we believe it's the safest environment. We're practicing social distancing, hand washing like never ever before. Just basically every single thing that we can do to keep the virus out of the schools, we're doing. We've taken out our water fountains. We've replaced them with refill stations. 
where students have water bottles with them that they can refill to, I mean, everything. The cafeteria has changed, recess has changed. We have zones when kids are outside playing to, to mitigate uh, the risk of, you know, close contact. And it's quite a different way that we are having to have stand up school right now, but it's the, really the only way we feel that we can to keep our students and our staff as safe as possible. Dr. Stone, right now, 17 students have active cases, as do nine employees, and obviously the dashboard will change as this podcast is out there. Were any of those in, were any of those students or employees in the building this week? In the building this week. So, you know, we just started school on Tuesday, and we had a couple of occurrences where students we did know that they were in the building and so we've had to quarantine some students and that's really going to be the kind of the way that this is going to proceed into the future. Anyone who said, you know, we had a case, so anyone who had close prolonged contact with that student and that means that they were within six feet for 15 minutes or more they're considered to be in close prolonged contact and that means that they have to stay in quarantine until they can return you know and show a negative test or or they have to stay home for that long and so it really is going to be the most school districts every school district that i've talked to we have regular meetings and of all of our dallas county schools every single school district is experiencing this and we have to have really really strong systems and protocols to make sure that as soon as someone is identified with either symptoms or a positive test that we take the necessary steps and then we notify the school community of it and the parents who have had contact with anyone who is either showing symptoms or test positive then we need them to stay home and then get tested because i would imagine the goal right is not to have to shut down schools because of an outbreak that you weren't able to get on top of, right? That's absolutely right. And the cases that we've had have not been spread while they've been in school. It's been outside spread that's occurred and then individuals then coming into the school and having contact. And so, you know, we're really, really stressing not only our own risk mitigation and all of our own protocols, but just really, really just begging basically everyone to take this seriously out in the community when they're out in public because that's the only way that we can keep the virus from coming into our schools, which is our absolute goal. Dr. Stone, what has it been like just trying to get all these protocols together? I, this is obviously something none of us have ever dealt with before. So what was it like trying to really make sure you had done what you think you need to have done, but yet that will continue to change? Yeah, I mean, it has been absolutely just thinking through every single thing about how we normally do school and then dismantling it and thinking it through the eyes of how we need to do it differently so that we can mitigate risk. Everything from how we have drop-off, transportation, where kids sit and how they sit in the cafeteria, how they move through the hallways, how they drink from the drinking fountains, how they play on the playgrounds, how they sit in the classrooms. I mean, every single thing has been thought through painstakingly. But, and then even after we had the first day of school and we regrouped 
worked the next morning with all of our elementary principals, they of course learned some things that they hadn't even thought about and were sharing their ideas and everyone was putting some adjustments to their plans. So it really has been a, a pretty exhaustive, pretty stressful time of thinking through, well, what if we didn't think about this? But thankfully, just because of the collaboration between districts, and that even goes from stealing ideas from other districts and other in other states where they have figured out some way to do something differently from, you know, putting one of our schools has paw prints that have been spray painted on the sidewalk. So as kids get out of their cars, they have certain places to stand. You know, it really has just been, we're doing things, everything is different. Tell me about the morale of the students. I would imagine, you know, when I was a kid in Chicago, I it was a sad time for me because summer vacation was over and you had to go back to school. But in this situation, I would imagine that they're happy to see each other and, and be together, but yet still have some concerns about the pandemic. Have you talked to students? Have you been able to gauge what they're feeling? Yeah, you know, we have about 53% of our students are in person. We still have another 47% of our students who are all still virtual. And, you know, that's difficult in and of itself because there's struggle for the kids who are virtually learning and they know that their, their peers are back in school without them and they're missing out on things. It's hard for the students who are in person because there's the stress and safety concerns. Yeah, I'm talking with all of those students. Everyone is struggling. It is. This is a very stressful time. It's also a stressful time for teachers who worry about not only their own children, but they are very worried about their own safety and health. So there's a very high, I mean, just to be real and authentic and to, to shoot straight, there's a high level of stress in our public schools right now. And we really, as leaders, have to respond to that. And it's taking an emotional toll uh, we know that this is what we need to be doing, and it is the best place for kids to be back in school face-to-face. -face. That's where the highest levels of learning are going to happen. But we also have to be real about the stress that teachers and families and students are carrying around with them every day and respond to that from an social-emotional support way of reacting to that. And so, I mean, it, it really is, there is a weight that is out there right now in our schools and to not respond to that and to not see that would be irresponsible. Dr. Stone, before we let you go, is there anything we're missing you want to add? And we appreciate you being with us. Thank you. No, I think just the, the one, we you know, I really want to always focus on the positives and there are, a lot, there are also a lot of positives there. I think the appreciation for public education and public education, uh, public teachers rather, has really been elevated because parents now have a new appreciation to what it, ta it takes to, to teach kids and to have them to grow every day in terms of their learning. So that's a positive that has come out of that as well as all of the, the new ways that we have learned to reach and connect with technology. Dr. Stone, we appreciate you and hope to have you on our show at some point. So thank you so much. We thank know you. it's a week. Thank you. I will. Thank you. If there wasn't already universal appreciation for what teachers do, certainly there is now, as they teach online and in person during the pandemic. Thanks to Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson, NBC5 Sports Director Nui Scruggs, and Richardson ISD Superintendent Jeannie Stone for joining us this week. 
You can stay up to date on political news across the state at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. And we will talk to you next week.